I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We co-host Pantsuit Politics, a podcast seeking nuance in political conversation. Along the way, we've realized the rest of life is filled with nuance, too. So we come here each week to commemorate the moments in our lives, moments beyond birthdays, weddings, and funerals, that deserve celebration. It's an opportunity to see ourselves in a new season and to reflect on the messiness of living wisely. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so excited to be back with everyone. We have two commemorations to share, and then after the break... I had an aha moment over our holiday season, which is Beth and I have things to commemorate. I have some things I want to commemorate. So we are going to share our own commemorations after the break. Before we get started, we did want to share with everyone that on Friday, January 18th from 4 to 7 p.m., we will be hosting a live podcast in partnership with Swanee Hunt Alternatives. Swanee, Beth, and I will be in conversation about the seismic shift in gender politics in our country. So this is under the Pantsuit Politics podcast umbrella, but we wanted to share it with you guys because we're going to really be talking about the nuanced ways that women are leaders in the political space, and I think it's a conversation all of our listeners will be interested, no matter which podcast you primarily listen to. So if you're around D.C., if you're coming for the march, we hope to see you there. We'll be at the Frederick Douglass Hall at the historic Metropolitan AME Church. So it's going to be an ongoing thing, so don't worry about being there all three hours, or if you can't be there at four, just come and go, and we are really excited. We hope to see you there. We're going to start with a commemoration from Maddie, which also has a little bit of a political bent here. She said, today I watched the farewell speech of my former boss. Today she said goodbye to the state Senate after a hard-fought campaign that she entrusted me to manage for her. As I watched the recording online, I couldn't help but feel a sense of guilt. I began to beat myself up. She would not have to say goodbye if you hadn't lost this campaign for her. I've been struggling with these thoughts since November 6th, and I know that they are false. I know that our team did everything possible. So when these thoughts invade, I've been trying to shift to gratitude. Today, I shifted my thoughts to a positive Facebook post where I thanked my boss for her service and for being a mentor to me. I also realized that we can rejoice in failure. There is a time and a place for everything. It was time for a new state senator in my district. I may not know why it is time, but I know that God has put this change in motion. I know that this failure has taught me so many lessons and that I'm a better person for it. I know that our work still had meaning. We set an example of a campaign with no attack ads, even though our campaign was unsuccessful. We showed that it is more important to do the right thing than to win, a lesson that is sorely needed in today's politics. Failure is not the end. It is the start of a new beginning. I wanted to commemorate failing as crazy as it sounds, because failure is always the precursor to success, and we do not spend enough time talking about the fact that success rarely looks like a perfect line upwards. I love this. I was listening to a meditation series, like a little course inside the 10% Happier Meditation app, which is the app I use, and it was Joseph Goldstein, who's one of the teachers inside this app, and he's really, really great. And he was doing this session on phrases to help with stress, and one of them he said is, <laughs> thoughts of your mother are not your mother. And it's just exactly what Maddie says, which is, I think these thoughts, and I think it's so powerful to be able to take a moment, be aware of them, and realize they are not true. They are just thoughts. The thoughts of your mother are not your mother. The thoughts that you messed this up or failed are just that. They're just th thoughts. They're not representative of any reality. And that's a really difficult skill to develop and to check yourself and watch what these thought patterns are and how they're not serving you. And I think that she is doing a really beautiful job of that. It's not an easy skill. 
And I think her message is one that probably everyone who's ever worked on a campaign can relate to in some way. And I think that it ties in nicely to a discussion we've been having on Fancy Politics about how campaigns matter whether you win or lose that you are contributing mm-hmm. something really important to the culture. And we've been having that discussion about the people who are actually seeking office, forgetting or giving short shrift to the fact that there are so many people behind all of those people who seek office. And that joining a campaign is like joining a job for a couple mm-hmm. of years. It's a new job for a couple of years. And it's not only a job that you take because of the money. You usually don't take it because of the money, right? You take it because you believe in it with your whole heart. So the kind of trauma of coming out of that job, whether you win or lose, has to be pretty significant. And to carry some second guessing with that, that's a lot to process. And I'm so glad that Maddie's taking time to process it. And I appreciate her doing that here because I think a lot of people can relate. We also have a commemoration from Laura. She says, thank you so much for last week's conversation about gift giving and this week's follow up to it. Your conversation inspired me to rethink how I give gifts and would like to commemorate my having finished shopping for this year. Before I got married, I was anti-gift giving. To some, this may make me seem like a Scrooge, but after living in a national park for five years and seeing the effects of climate change firsthand, I have tried to do everything in my power not to buy anything new. My immediate family understood and our get-togethers have always focused more on food and games, so this was never an issue. However, I married into a family of gift givers and nearly every Christmas so far has ended in arguments and tears when I asked to set gift limits or when those limits were pushed aside. I was deeply hurt when my mother-in-law bought me enough presents she asked me to pack an extra suitcase to get them all home. She was hurt when I didn't understand her need to buy us gifts. A year and many discussions later, we set an expectation that we will each give and receive one gift. My husband and my gifts have each come in the mail and there was one item in the box for each of us. My gift baskets of locally made specialty foods for him and bath products for her is in the mail on the way to their home. This Christmas season, I have not only given gifts but have received some greater humility and understanding. Wrapping the gifts for my in-laws and mailing the package brought me the joy I'd forgotten that comes with giving from the heart to someone I love. I'm a better person for having known my mother-in-law and have found a new joy in life because of her patient, loving attitude toward me. No matter my stubborn ideological beliefs, I'm commemorating a joyous Christmas shopping season I've never had in adulthood. May this be the first of many to come. Oh, that made me tear up. I want people to say about me, my, I'm a better person for knowing my mother-in-law. That's so good. <laughs> I think that this is such a great illustration of how easy it is once you have a heart for a difficult issue to wade into that issue in a way that can be disconnecting. And the answer to most issues is not to find disconnection from other people, right? And so taking a couple of steps in the direction of her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. Laura is probably going to be so much more influential around other decisions that her mother-in-law makes because she's willing to give a little here. And I think that's beautiful. We also have a commemoration from Sarah. She says, I'm 43, single mom, and in this past December, I was in a car accident that totaled my car. A 2006 Corolla, nothing fancy but reliable, sturdy, and safe. No one was injured, but my car was totaled. It doesn't take much damage for a car of its age. I then dealt with my insurance company. This was the first accident that I'd been in. Right now, me was very thankful to pass Sarah for adding the collision and rental car coverage to my insurance. I then had to find another car with a budget of $5,000 for a safe, reliable car. No real other criteria. Good mileage would be great, but not a deal breaker. I'd only bought used cars previously from family or friends, and that was not available at this time. My brother, an engineer at Ford, and dad, a farmer mechanic, helped me narrow down my search, answer questions, and listen to me complain. 
I also have a great mechanic who looked over the three cars I considered and kept me from making some bad choices, and a friend who loaned me a car when my rental car coverage ran out. I did get another car, a 2010 Ford Focus. Yes, I did the Christmas bow on a car photo after about three weeks of looking. During this process, I realized how many people I have who support me. I feel for those who are in a similar situation without all this help. One of the major realizations, changes in the almost four years since my separation is that I need a community and that's okay and great. It's okay to need, ask for, and accept help. Sarah. This was a big deal for me to read. I love this. I find this very helpful because looking for community has been a real focus for me over the last few months, and you really encouraged me to continue doing that. It's so important, and it's one of my favorite Brené Brown quotes, which is, if you are never accepting help with an open and graceful heart, then you are never giving help with an open and graceful heart. If you tell yourself, I don't need other people's help, I shouldn't need help, then basically the assumption is other people shouldn't need my help either, even if if it's subconscious. And we do, we all need each other and not just to loan rental cars, although that is really important. I personally have a great uncle that owns a car lot. I don't know how people get through adulthood without a family member that owns a car lot. I don't have that skill. But because the connection itself is so important and to feel like you're not in it by yourself, you're not this lone island, it's just, it's the key to happiness. I, I feel this deeply in my core. And I think that the fewer struggles we have, the more tempting it is to say, well, I don't really need that. Or I can afford things that that I can pay my way out of needing community. Right. Mm. And that's such a sad place to be. And I don't want to be in that place. You know, and I I really love not only that Sarah has this community around her, but that she took time to recognize it. Because I think the other thing is it's really easy to just expect that. I always have a minute like when we go on vacation and our neighbors help with different things when I try to like sit down and say like, I'm so thankful for this person who got our mail and this person who I know would call us if something happened to our house Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. this person who came and fed our fish. Like, I feel like it's just a really big deal to acknowledge those things. Totally agree. We're going to take a short break and then come back with our commemoration for today. The Nuance Life Today is sponsored by Christ for Disciplers, a daily podcast offering a weekday message for educators and parents of young disciples. So Christ for Disciplers is a pretty traditionally religious podcast that offers parenting advice in short segments, and I have found it to be a little bit more traditional than my personal religious views, but also a helpful way for me to think about the Mm -hmm. application of Christian viewpoints to my parenting in a really intentional way. And that's what I've appreciated very much about it. Yeah, I think it just brings consciousness. It just brings consciousness to wait. Okay, parenting can so quickly become this sort of day-to-day, the urgent overwhelms the important task. And so to have something that's like, even if you don't always agree with everything being said, like to have this moment where you're like, okay, I want to take a conscious, intentional moment to think about how I'm parenting, what are my values, religious or otherwise, and how I want to bring them to my kids and teach them to my kids. So in just 600 seconds of Christ for Disciples podcast, which is on Monday through Friday, listeners get a blessing of peace connected to a clear message from the Bible and several ideas to use in his or her daily life as a parent. The Christ for Disciples podcast is on iTunes and Google Play, Stitcher and Podbean and most other podcast providers. Subscribe today to Christ for Disciples. That's Disciples, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-R-S 
a unique word for the mission of parents and teachers. You can also get connected by visiting ChristForDisciplers.com. Listen to the Christ for Disciplers podcast today and get the same wisdom that we found to enhance your family life. Over the holiday break, I was doing a lot of journaling. I was thinking through the new year. I was thinking about changes in my life. And the first thing that occurred to me is that I have been through a lot of things in the last three years. My youngest son is only three. I have three kids, little kids. Again, youngest is only three. And yet in the time since he was born three years ago, we have started a podcast in a business. My husband and I sold our house and bought a new house. I ran for office one, was a commissioner for two years, ran for office and lost. And I was just like, man, I have not commemorated how intense and stressful these past three years have been while simultaneously I have been raising this little baby and toddler, which is an intense and stressful act all on its own. So I just thought I would take a moment to be like, dang, Sarah, what an intense three years you've had. And so Sarah's commemoration of her intense three years led us to a conversation about commemorating our own stuff more here on The Nuanced Life. And the first thing we want to talk about is ushering in a new era of iPhone usage because of this fantastic article that Ann Bogle recommended and Sarah shared on Facebook. And I popped into it. I spent about an hour and a half with it. And now I feel like my life is different. It's different. My life is different. The article is called How to Configure Your iPhone to Work for You, Not Against You. It is from Coach Tony on the Better Humans website, and we will link this in the show notes. It is an intense article. You're going to pull it up and you're going to say, this is bananas. But trust us. Believe. It's important. You need to believe in the process. give, Give the 90 minutes to it. Do all the things and you'll feel better. Okay. So the governing principle is that a phone should be a tool, not a boss. So like one of the very first thing he instructs everybody to do is basically turn off almost all notifications because notifications are disruptions in which the phone is in control and you are not. The phone is deciding when you should pay attention to something, the app or the the website or whatever is disrupting your day where you're trying to choose what to do. And it's being the boss of you. It's saying, stop what you're doing and pay attention to me, which is what a boss does, not what a tool does. And so I think that that is like such a good place to start. But, you know, turning on notifications I've heard before. And now it helped because I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going all in. I'm going to do everything in this article. And especially every time he'd be like, if you really want to take it to the next level, I was like, oh, I'm definitely doing that then. But because that's just the kind of person I am, especially when working through a list. But it doesn't end with sort of the traditional advice. There were I, I count myself as a tech savvy person. I know my way around an iPhone pretty well, and there were so many recommendations that he gave that I was like, I did not even know this was an option. For years, I already used a password manager, but for years, I was bouncing to the password app, copying it, and then putting it in my phone, and now I knew that the password manager would fill it in on my computer, but I did not know it was an option to go into my settings and say, hey, pull my password from this app. And now I don't have to be bouncing back and forth. Do you know how much time I've saved? Now that I don't have to bounce into Dashlink, copy my password, bounce back into the website. It's just that thing alone was worth the cost of admission, which was nothing because the article was free. It also gives you ways to turn off requests to rate and review apps that you're using. Just little things that pop in and take a few minutes and are kind of annoying. And what I love about it, and and I, 
I have heard the notification thing too for the purposes of productivity, but I didn't really think about the psychology of the visual of your phone Mm -hmm. and how looking at your phone with a bunch of red circles and numbers constantly feels draining. Mm-hmm. And how looking at my phone with like a cute picture of my child makes my phone more like a toy than a tool. Mm-hmm. So one of the recommendations is that you put all your apps in folders. It's very specific about what should be on the first screen versus the second screen. It says put them in alphabetical order. Again, this just feels like a decluttering of my life that feels so fresh and good. And then to use just like a black screen as the background. And I do feel like that is changing the relationship I have with this phone. Yes, because I pick it up and I'm like, instead of seeing my child's really cute face and getting that momentary hit that's nice of good pleasure brain chemicals, I pick it up and I'm like, oh, black screen, apps, putting it back down. I also found that the turning off the raise to wake, so when you pick up your phone, all your notifications show. Didn't know I could turn that off. That's changing. Not just like they say that the black screen is easier on your battery, and obviously not the raise, turning the raise to wake saves battery. So like just the real world pragmatic implication of my battery is lasting longer, but I feel like I pick it up and I'm not, it's not a pleasurable experience because it shouldn't be. I don't have a pleasurable experience when I pick up a hammer, like, or when I open my laptop, like it should be, uh, I'm ready to work. I need this tool to get something done, not look at my sweet baby's face. You know what I should do? I should put down the damn phone and look at my sweet baby's face in person. Just saying. This kind of reminds me of an experience I had in church two weeks ago. I was sitting there. Both of my kids were in their classes happily doing their thing. My husband was at home happily doing his thing. So I'm in the pew with no one to worry about their experience, right? It's just me listening. And I was listening to the pastor, and then I kind of just felt myself all of a sudden very aware that I had no responsibilities. I was just in this moment feeling like I was floating a little bit that I liked what was happening. I wasn't particularly emotionally connecting with anything that was going on. I just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude that I did not have a role to play at all in that particular instance. And it felt so profound to me. And then I was like, congratulations, Beth. It only took you 37 years to understand the concept of Sabbath. Here you are. Welcome to (laughs) Sabbath. It's an ancient tradition, (laughs) you know, Um, but you're actually observing it. This is the point. And it was so wonderful to just have that sense of like, I don't have to do anything right now. And I feel like my phone has been the boss of me for several years because I look at the notifications, especially with email, and think, oh, I have to do this right now. Mm -hmm. And having just taken the simple step of turning off the notification on email and pushing it to the second screen stops me from opening it just to look at what's there. Now when I feel myself with that tug toward I better check my email, I think, do I have time to do anything with my email? Or am I just going to tell my brain that it's sitting there waiting for me? And honestly, the work that we do now, you and I, in all aspects of my life, I don't get email that is an easy thing to respond to. Almost Mm -hmm. everything that comes my way is a good 5, 10, 15 minute exercise to think about and respond to. So why am I just looking at it to remind myself that I've got 5, 10, 15 minute tasks piling up when I can't do anything about this task. This has been a very helpful thing for me. 
Well, and I'm really bad about I read them and, and there's like a part of my brain that's like, well, you did that, even though I know I need to respond. But because it's not unread, <laughs> I tell myself I've done it. I haven't done it. I didn't do anything. You know, I have been thinking a lot about our brains, thinking fast, thinking slow, and the sort of behavioral economics way. We have these monkey brains. We have very small human processing parts of our brain that are easily overcome by the larger monkey brain portion of ourselves. You know, I've been on board with the idea that our phones, the apps within our phones, are they are manipulating us. They are designed to trigger the instincts of our monkey brains in ways that are subconscious that we are not going to be really well aware of. Like, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And I understand why people fight that because it seems as if it is a sacrifice of power and control over your own life, but it is just the opposite. When you can acknowledge that you are a victim of the same sort of manipulations that any consumer, any tech user, any iPhone owner is, then you can start to acknowledge how to put yourself back in control because just fighting it and thinking it either, either thinking it doesn't affect me or I can by the sheer force of my will overcome it is exhausting and largely unsuccessful. And so when you can say, okay, I know my, the, what I'm a victim of, what I can fall for with regards to the red dots or the the scrolling, the sort of casino, pull the lever, see what comes up on Facebook, design of so many of these apps, then you can start to put yourself in control anyway. And I just, until I'd read this article, I had not seen anybody lay out in such a comprehensive, well-researched way. This is how this works on your brain. This is the setting or procedure or system to put into place to protect yourself against it. I mean, it was just, it was comprehensive in a way. As a person who reads this stuff a lot, I had not seen it. So I, that's why I just can't recommend it enough. I feel like we are, I am commemorating a totally new day in my iPhone usage. It makes you appreciate your phone again, too, right? Because I can get really angry at my phone and angry at Facebook and Twitter and all of the things. And this article is not saying don't use your phone. Mm -hmm. It's saying use your phone. Use it for what a phone should be. Right. Not as a substitute for having feelings and managing your time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really wise. And I totally agree with your point about once you just call things what they are, then you can gain all your power back. <laughs> I learned something last week. Were you aware that if you put a bottle of sparkling grape juice in your freezer to chill for a minute and then forget about it, the bottle will explode? What? Oh, yes. in your freezer. In yes, your freezer. I, mm -hmm. Yes, I have learned that lesson. Yes. So I did that. I put a bottle of sparkling grape juice in the freezer. I thought I was going to chill it for a couple minutes, promptly walked away and forgot about it. And a couple days later, discovered green glass and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. purple slushy substance all over everything in the freezer. Nice. So I'm trying to clean it up. This is not a good situation because there are shards of green glass everywhere, many of them too small to really see until they are in your finger. So I'm trying to clean up. It's late. The girls are talking to me. They're tired. They need to get in bed. And I'm cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And Chad comes over and Chad has some suggestions for how to approach this task, which I did not I did not receive well. Okay. I just didn't. I often don't receive his suggestions well. And in this particular moment of stress, I definitely didn't. And it resulted in me saying, you do it. I will put them in bed. And so that's what I did. And so, of course, Chad's feelings are hurt that I did not receive his 
you know, <laughs> helpful suggestions as such. Oh, good. But here's what happened. Like, he came upstairs and I said, yeah, I, I was mad about how you said that, but I'm done being mad now because we've done this a hundred times where you try to help me. I don't take it as help. Then I'm mad at you for trying to tell me what to do. And you're mad at me for being mad at you. And we just do this and we're not going to solve it. So this is what happened, and I'm going to be done now. Can you? Be, can we just have a truce? Can you be done too? And he was like, sure. And we went on and had a lovely evening. <laughs> totally great. And I think that that is just such a good reminder. Like you said, if you just call this what it is, okay, I'm, I'm being psychologically manipulated by the design of Twitter. Cool. Mm-hmm. I could be angry about that, but for what? I'm not going to sit and have a discussion with the developers at Twitter about what they're doing to the world or to me. Instead, I can just acknowledge it and say, here's how I'm going to adapt. And I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I'm doing with this article. I am moving on. I, this is something I've struggled with for years that I've thought a lot about that I worry a lot about, and I I just feel like I worked my way. I mean, like you said, it takes a while. It took me like an hour and a half to two hours to work my way through all the suggestions and the articles and the article, but it was so worth it. So highly recommend everybody. Go forth, adjust your phone, use it for good and not for evil, and have a great week. We'll be back here with you again next Wednesday. We'll be on Pantsuit Politics between now and then. Talking with Ann Bogle, who recommended this article. So make sure to check out Tuesday's episode of Pantsuit Politics. We're talking with Ann about cultivating. This is much in line with this article, right? How do you Mm -hmm. harness the good online instead of just the difficult? And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.